Some people, why, why aren't you dressed in chief's apparel? Well, I, I do have chief's shoes on, hallelujah. Um, I don't know where it went wrong with my kids. I have no idea. Sometimes they go wayward and we pray that they'll come back again, you know, and so they went to the green side and they, I don't know what that's all about, a coercion or manipulation or somehow we let somebody creep into the family and they in, infected it. Anyway, so, uh, so anyway, I, I forgive them and we let them go. They're, they're, we're talking about the Packers and nobody else cares, I know. Uh, but we're, but the, 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 the Chiefs almost made it and they certainly have the MVP of the NFL in Patrick Mahomes. So it's exciting. I mean, come on, come on. You got to be happy about that. You got to be happy about that. Uh, I'm a football fan all the way. I love watching the sport. But I made a commitment to God many, many years ago. Shortly after I got saved, I said that I would never, because the pastor challenged us to do he said He said, never celebrate more for football than you do for Jesus. So I go to people's homes. I, I went to, particularly to a, in the first gathering, we have a family named the Germans. I go, went to their home to watch a few football games this year. I cheer loud, and I asked them, I said, now, now I'm, I'm, a, I'm a loud cheer. I said, do you think I'm louder cheering here, though, than I am for Jesus? And their answer was absolutely no. So here's the deal. Uh, over the next 30 or 40 minutes as I'm preaching this message, uh, don't you dare be louder this afternoon uh, than you are for Jesus in church this morning. Can someone say amen, yes? And, and maybe you're not a football fan. You're like, I, I don't do that anyway. Well, maybe your thing is, I don't know, basket weaving or whatever it is, and you get excited about that. So whatever the thing is, you need to be more excited about what God did for you. He saved you from the depths of depravity and sin, and he gave you a place in eternal life forever. So it's an exciting thing. We need to praise God. Savage Savior. Why do we choose the term savage for this series? Well, because the Urban Dictionary defines savage this way. The Urban Dictionary says that savage is courageous to the point that other people say, are you crazy? Uh, it goes on to say someone who is unconcerned about the consequences of his or her actions. And so we're talking about Jesus, the savior of the world, the son of God, son of man. We're talking about Jesus in this term of being savage. I, I like using that term because it also makes religious people really, really uncomfortable. And we're not religious at New Life Church. We're very much into a relationship with a very real God who gave us his son who's named as Jesus. And so we're excited about this. My goal for you this year in 2019 is really simple. I would like for you as individuals and as families and as the church family and as campus families as we're growing in our number of campuses for New Life Church, I would like for us to completely come into our calling in 2019. Everybody has a call of God on their life for something, not just to do, but to be. And I would like for us to come into that calling. And if you don't know what that means, relax. We're going to help you unpack that over the weeks uh, that are ahead of us between now and Easter time because we want you to completely come into your calling. So without any further ado, this series is on the, the book of Mark. So open your Bibles to the book of Mark, Mark chapter one. And we left off and we're basically just going to go through this whole book. So each week, if you want to stay with me and you want to know what I'm going to be teaching on and you want to kind of be ready to go, just read the next chapter of the book of Mark. I want you to know, like any good teacher wants you to read the stuff before you come to class so we can unpack it together. Can somebody say amen? amen. By the way, somebody said, well, if you're such a Chiefs fan, uh, while you're turning there, you're such a Chiefs fan, why aren't you wearing Chiefs apparel? Because I'm wearing the apparel of the winning team. The refs seem to win every time, even though they were wrong. At the, the, and it doesn't matter, whatever. So, uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, some of you know what I'm talking about, and you, some of you just don't care. But I, I know what I'm talking about. Mark chapter one. Let's get into this. Verse number fourteen is where we left off last time. If you didn't, if you weren't with us, don't worry. You'll be able to understand where we're going with this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. 
It is, it, it, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus, as Jesus went uh, by the Sea of Galilee, beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Simon, Simon. Simon is the guy who Jesus later changed his name to Peter. Uh, I'm just gonna kind of stop there and tell you when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter, it was a good example to you and me that God does not call you what other people call you. Listen, God doesn't call you what you look in the mirror at and you see and you call yourself. God has a new name for you. The new name that God has for you is a name that brings him glory. You call yourself a failure and God says, no, you're a masterpiece of grace. You're a canvas waiting to be painted on. He has changed your name. You're not the same as you used to be. Man, I'm excited. That's who Simon is. That's who Peter, let's go on with this verse. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And as Jesus, verse number 16, as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, verse number 17, come follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. I always got confused by that. Why doesn't it say James and John, the sons of Zebedee? But it just says James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. I'm not sure what John did wrong to not be included in that equation. But anyway, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. They were getting ready to do what they do well. And do you know what they do well? They fish. These were professional fishermen. When I say professional fishermen, I'm not talking about they just did the fish. Listen, some of y'all could maybe be, you're a good plumber, but you're not a good business person. So you have no business starting a plumbing business because your plumbing business is gonna fail. Because you, you gotta be a good business person if you're a good plumber, if you're gonna run a plumbing business. Does that make sense? You can't just be a technician, you also gotta be a manager. And so these guys weren't just the technicians, the fishermen, but the Bible tells us they had a staff working for them. The Bible tells us they had family members working for them. They had people they had to provide for. They had equipment, uh, they had uh, capital supplies, they had nets, and, and, and they were fishermen, and they were successful at what they did. Just so you you understand we're on the same page. Verse number 20, without delay. Now you're gonna see that throughout the book of Mark. This phrase, without delay, or suddenly, or immediately. This is the way that Mark writes this gospel. You see, it's like a headlines book. Anybody uh, remember Reader's Digest? Right, we used to say a phrase like Reader's Digest version. In other words, cut it down for me. Don't give me the long version. Give me the short version. Because in Reader's Digest, there were snippets of articles so you could read shorter versions of it. Now that's just the way the newspaper is anyway because nobody can read really long articles. It's all just really, really tiny articles and multiple layers of different articles instead of putting it all. Anyway, it's just the way culture has shifted. We like it being, so the book of Mark is short snippets and it goes from one event to another event to another event. So it's suddenly, it's immediately. uh, And that's, that's how Mark writes this, 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 this gospel, this book. And so we're given the highlights. We're given kind of the essence of the conversation, but I'm sure there was more to the conversation than follow me, okay, see you, dad, and off they go. I'm sure there was a little bit more to unpack that conversation, but Mark wants us to know the highlights, the essence. Why? He wants us to know the essence because he wants us to know that Jesus was more than just a bunch of cute cliches and Hallmark cards. Uh, Jesus was more than that. His instructions and his commands would help us live the best life possible. Can someone say amen? amen? I also want you to understand from this before we go on that this verse, that Jesus did not wait for them to understand their calling before he gave it to them. Uh, he's not gonna wait for you to understand it. If you're trying to figure it all out, 
before you receive it from God? Stop. You might not figure it out because he didn't want them to figure it out. So let's, let's kind of go down this trail for just a second. Um, there were two sets of guys. There was James and, or, or there was Simon, um, uh, who, whose name was later changed to Peter and Andrew, and then there was James and his brother John. And, 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 and Jesus had called them. They, they had received their calling from Jesus. And so I'm gonna put the verses up on the screen, verse 18 and verse 20, just so we can review those. It says, at once they laughed. Everybody say, they laughed. And then down below, without delay, he called them and they left. Everybody say, they left. So they left. So they were, they were coming into their calling, but if they were gonna come into their calling, they had to leave something. They had to leave, what did they have to leave? Well, they had to leave the nets and they had to leave the boats and they had to leave the security. They had to leave, they had to leave their comfort zone. And so here's what I'm introducing to you this morning. So stay with me. Here's what we learned from this. Coming into my calling means coming out of my comfort zone. Coming into my calling means coming out of my comfort Coming into my calling means coming out of my comfort zone. That is like the theme. That is the context of Christianity. That's the context of the Gospels, of, of the New Testament. Jesus did not come to make us comfortable. Listen, let me illustrate this way. When you don't understand the function of something, you'll probably get hurt using it, or you'll probably break it, or, you know, you don't get the function of it. But when you get the function of it, let me illustrate this. Look at the screen. Just, it's New Year's. You'll understand kind of what I'm talking about. I don't think she understands the function of the elliptical. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Hallelujah. All right. Go ahead and stop it, please. Some of you are like, what? What's wrong? <laughs> Didn't understand the function of the thing, okay? You got, when you don't understand the function of the... Listen, I've raised kids... Uh, and. You have a treadmill at the house. Most people here or there in their life have a treadmill in their house. And when you have a treadmill in your house, you got to tell your kids that it's not a station to play Target checkout at, right? Uh, it's not something you put your little sister on and turn it on nine and you send her flying across the room, right? Uh, it, the, the treadmill has a function, and we all know the function is to be a clothes hanger. Isn't that true, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, that's not true. The, the function of the treadmill is so that you can get on it and walk and get your aerobic, anaerobic exercise going. You can do the incline. You can whatever. You, get healthy. And so you got to know the function of it. If you don't use it properly, then it's dysfunctional. And so let's talk about relationships for a second. Um, in your relationships that you have, there's a function to every relationship, a, a purpose, maybe we can use that word. And I would wager to say that most of the dysfunction in your relationships is because you violate the nature of the relationship or because they violate the nature of the relationship. Therefore, the relationship is dysfunctional. You either try to get something from somebody that, that they can't give you that makes it dysfunctional. Or you try to give to somebody something that they do not want, something that they aren't willing to receive from you. That makes the relationship dysfunctional. And if you don't understand that, you're gonna have relational dysfunction, which is gonna bring frustration into your life because you don't understand why that person is in your life. Because you attached a function to them that is dysfunctional. Now, I don't know if you're with me or you're not with me, but there's probably two or three people that are dialing in and trekking with me with what I'm saying. This is why for some people, have you ever noticed this? The people you try to help the most in life can bring you the biggest amount of hurt because dysfunctional. Aging parents is a good example. Um, we're all gonna have to deal with this one day or we're dealing with now or we're gonna be on the, the, the other side of this and we're gonna be the aging parents. I'm talking about aging parents. Um, 
there's going to come a point one day where you hopefully will extend a helping hand to your parents because uh, they are hurting uh, physically. They can't do everything. And so you aid them with the functions and you step into the role almost of being the parent to your parent. And I've, I've, even from a young man, young minister, all the way through, worked with people, and I've seen relationships just tear apart that were very healthy their entire adult life, but they began to tear apart at the end because something happened, and this is what happens, in my opinion. What happens is the parent who is aging and needs help physically still needs to be in the same function emotionally. So when you begin to parent the parent uh, physically, it transitions over into emotionally, and here's the problem. The function that they have, the need, the emotional need that they really have is to be your mom or to be your dad. They don't want to be your child. And so there's got to be a balance of, of, of shifting the function physically and yet keeping the function where it's at emotionally. And if that doesn't take place, what's going to end up happening is dysfunction will come in and has the potential of destroying the relationship. Do you all follow with what I'm talking about here? So when you try to give somebody something in a relationship that's not the primary need that they have for you, it's going to be a good intention, but it's going to end with a bad result. I say all this to say, though, that I think a lot of problems we have with Jesus, a lot of problems we have understanding and connecting and trusting and following Jesus, our savage Savior, is because we do not understand his primary function in our lives. Jesus' primary function in our lives, I know what it wasn't. I know what it wasn't. His primary function, people associate this with Jesus. They say his primary function, at least they're subliminally saying it, his primary function is to make me comfortable. It's to bring comfort into my life. And see, that's what we, we, we call comfort, a synonym for peace, and that's not true. Comfort is not a synonym for peace. He, he, he's gonna bring peace, peace that passes all understanding into your life, but it doesn't say he's gonna bring comfort. In fact, he promises just the opposite. He says, in this world, you will have all sorts of trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we, we, we have a problem with understanding the function of Jesus, I know that to be true for the church. People seek after comfort, unfortunately. I don't think that's true with the crowd we have at New Life. But a lot of people seek after comfort. And they'll leave the church and they'll go somewhere else maybe or never go anywhere else. And somebody asks them what's going on and their answer is, well, I just wasn't very, you got it. And, and, and that's not what it's all about. I mean, you're welcome for the padded chairs, right? And for the heat that we occasionally turn on, but not very much because I'm hot-natured and I don't want to sweat. I'm just throwing that out there, right? Let's talk about Jesus. Everybody's coming to Jesus to hear him teach and preach, and they're sitting on the side of the hill, and they got hungry, and so Jesus gave them a bunch of comfort food, fish and bread, right? And they're eating the fish and the bread, and it's real comfortable, and their bellies are getting full, and they're having a fish fry, and it's a wonderful time. And then Jesus says something that's uncomfortable. What's he say? He's like, oh, at the end, he's like, eat my body and drink my blood. Okay, honey, we're out of here, because this is cannibalism, and I'm not a fan of cannibalism, Right? Jesus is saying something on a whole nother level at a dimension that they didn't understand and it made them uncomfortable. So what happened? The crowd dispersed and people left and they didn't follow Jesus. Can I, can I just invest a little of the time in theology for a second, the study of theos, the study of God, because I spent like $75,000 in higher education. I would like to get some use out of it, okay? So I'm gonna use this for just a second and teach you. At the end, when Jesus had died and he was buried and he resurrected, he spent 40 plus days walking on the earth, he then ascended into heaven. And so at that point, Jesus said, don't worry, I'm not gonna leave you alone. You're not gonna be orphaned. You're not gonna be abandoned. I'm gonna send you a comforter. 
The comforter is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really has two primary functions. He has two primary functions. Number one is to convict us of our sin, and number two is to comfort us. So the function of the Holy Spirit is to comfort us. Surprise, when Jesus was here, his function was not to comfort us. It was never intended for Jesus to comfort us. Jesus came to confront, not to comfort. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus came to confront, not to comfort. And so sometimes we put Jesus as this pull string up on the shelf and we like to pull it and everything's gonna be just fine. Uh, I'm with you, I'll never leave you. Uh, uh, Trust in me and I'll always uh, lean on me. uh, All of that's true, but those aren't intended to bring us comfort. Uh, You don't believe me, but I'm gonna show you the next few minutes, not what Jesus didn't do, but what Jesus did do and what makes him different than every other lowercase g God in this world. When Jesus ascended, he said, I'm gonna send you a comforter. But when he was here, he confronted. And what did he confront? He confronted the systems that, are, that kept people in bondage and in captivity. He confronted the devil and his minions that are trying to normalize sin, that are trying to make us live inside out, upside down, uh, and reverse in a forward direction world, trying to make us think that life has no value before it comes out of the, the body. Therefore, it's okay to execute a child at one minute before they're born. It's, it's inside out, it's upside down. And some of y'all don't like talking about this. And I'm not talking there isn't grace. There's grace for people that have made mistakes. But this is murder. And so in this world, we have this inside out, upside down theology. And somehow we began to accept this stuff. And Jesus came to confront the system. And Jesus has said, greater works would you do? And Jesus has said, you need to stand up and you need to confront the systems that are oppressing the people that are bringing forth a a, a barrage of sin into this world. Now, some of y'all don't like to hear that because it's, but we need to talk about it. It's really important to understand this because if we misunderstand the reason Jesus came, we're going to begin in our lives to associate the presence of God with comfort and flip the coin. If that's true, then we're going to begin to associate confrontation in our lives. That's got to be the devil. Resistance in our lives, that's got to be the devil. Struggles in our lives, that's got to be the devil. Uh, You know what? Uh, Sometimes the devil is the one who is bringing you comfort, and God is the one who is putting you in a position of comfort or or, or, or confrontation or conflict. And some of people, some of you, I'm just going to be just straightforward. Some of you have been blaming the devil for God's handiwork, and it's time to repent in your life. If we're going to come into our calling in 2019, we have to come out of our comfort zone. Your comfort zone, what, what is that? Peter and John had a comfort zone. Uh, it was their nets. Uh, James and, or Peter and Andrew, James and John had to leave their father. See you, Zeb. See you, Dad. And all the hired hands that were still on the boat, and they're like, we're going to follow Jesus. And so they had to leave. They didn't leave their, their skills. They didn't change their skills. They just changed their focus. Now, some of you need to get that. God's going to work within your skill set. He's going to work within your skill set. Um, they aren't fishing now for profits. Now they're fishing for people. So he, he, they stayed within their skills that Jesus saw in them. He's like, guys, I see in you something great. I see in you the anointing to fish. Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Well, he kind of was because he like created it all, right? I see in you, Jesus was a carpenter by trade. I see in you an anointing to fish. 
So I want you to come and follow me. But if you're going to follow me, you got to leave your comfort, your security, your nets, your boats, even some relationships, and I need, I need you to follow me. And whoa. That's not very fun. We, we want to be fully in our calling, and yet we want to be fully comfortable at the same time. We, we want to be effective for Jesus in our neighborhood because we know that we're living in the home or the, or, or the, the, uh, the duplex or the, the apartment or whatever it is that, that God has given to us. We know that he gave it to us. At least I hope that you know that it was God who did that, and God provided for you, and we're so grateful for that. Uh, but we struggle uh, with our calling because we have a hard time putting a savage Savior sign that's been sitting back there for a month in our front yard. Because we're afraid of a conversation somebody might have. Because we don't know what to say. Because we don't trust that God, who, who created it all, can give us wisdom and words to speak to our neighbors if they say, what's that sign all about? Like, dude, we're doing this great thing at church on Sundays at 9 and 11. And I can't even explain it to you. It's so amazing. Why don't you come and check it out? You see, we want comfort. But Jesus is saying, I want you to... You can't have rippling abs without doing sit-ups. Right? If you've got to come into your calling, you've got to, have, you've got to leave the comfort behind. Coming into your calling means coming out of your comfort zone. Jesus did not have a contract with these guys. He didn't say, like, listen, if you guys will uh, follow me, this is what's going to happen. Uh, he didn't have certainty. He just said, follow me, and I'll show you as we go. Oh, well, that's, that's not very secure. See, I have this business plan, and I have, this, uh, I have these people working for me, and they depend on their, their families depend upon me for, for follow me, and I'll show you as we go. And, and they did. It's an uncomfortable proposition. God's not gonna, likely not going to call you to do something that's outside of your competency. So like if you're a gifted leader, he's going to call you in some aspect of leadership. If you're a gifted speaker, he's going to call you in some aspect of, of speech. If you're, if you're a gifted singer, listen, if you can't sing, don't try out for the voice. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, don't do that. Uh, sing it, keep it to your shower. <laughs> Just keep it to your shower. Praise God in the shower. And that's why we turn the music really loud here at the church, because people like me just can't carry a tune, right? But, but God will take you beyond your comfort zone within the realm of your competency, Oh, I love it. He stretches you. Follow me, he says. Forsake the familiar and walk in faith. So here's what I'm going to propose to you. The greatest enemy of fear, of faith, excuse me, the greatest enemy of faith is not fear, it's familiarity. The greatest enemy of faith is not fear, it's familiarity. Um, uh, fear can actually be, I know the Bible says uh, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, he's given to us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a sound mind. And I know that. But I also know that fear can actually be an ally to your faith because sometimes fear puts you in a position where you know you need something greater than you yourself have within yourself, which makes a connection with God even possible. How many times has fear driven to your knees? <laughs> Familiarity, though, man, that gets you stuck in predictable cycles. This is the thing that frustrates the thunder out of me more than anything else. As a man, as a... As a business person, as a pastor for sure, as a counselor, as, as a friend, um, I hope a community leader influence that kind of stuff. It frustrates me that I see people stuck in patterns of familiarity and you're just like, ah, oh, they don't see themselves doing anything else. Well, why the heck not? Why are you stuck in your pattern of familiarity? Maybe God has something bigger and grander for you. Maybe it's not bigger and grander economically or uh, recognition-wise, but maybe God has something else for you, and the problem is you're stuck in your predictable cycles that are pitiful because they're predictable, and you're going to stay in them unless someone comes to you and confronts you and calls you out. 
<laughs> so good. So uh, that's how we have, how can we have generational curses or generational transference that goes down because I could never really be any better than my mama. I could never be any better than my daddy. I can, and yes, you can. And any goal of a good parent would be you be exceedingly abundantly greater than I ever was. And if that's not the goal your parent had for you, that's why you're in the pattern you're in. It's predictable. It's habitual. It's, it's familiar is what it is. Listen, these guys were professional fishermen. They made a, a good living, but God called them out of their success into sacrifice, into a sacrificial state, into sacrificial living. And the real amazing thing is they obeyed, and that is so fantastic. Listen, will you let God bring you out of your comfort zone this year? Mic drop, walk away, we could be done right now, right? But that's like the introduction. So, so because this next one is like mind-blowing radical. Are you ready for this? Let's take a look at what it says in Mark chapter 20, or 1, verse number 21 now. They went to Capernaum, 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 Kephar Nahum. Kephar, Kephar Nahum, Kephar Nahum. Uh, I, was in, I was in Israel and went to Capernaum, and we called it that, and the guide said, don't call it that because you're, it's ridiculous. If you call it Capernaum, you'll never understand what in the world it is. It's Kephar Nahum. Uh, Kephar, meaning village, Nahum, which is like the, the Old Testament prophet, Nahum, uh, the minor prophet, um, and that means um, uh, comfort, village of comfort, okay? Capernaum, the village of comfort, um, remember, in the Bible, names, including city names, are prophetic. They're given for a reason. So it's the village of, of, of comfort. Kafar, everybody say, Kafar, Nahum. Doesn't that feel good? You're like, ah, I'm a scholar of the Bible. Uh, they went to Capernaum, Kafar, Nahum, and when the Sabbath came, when uh, Jesus went to the synagogue, that's like the church, the Jewish church, Right, because there's no Christianity yet, because Jesus hadn't uh, died, been buried, and rose from the dead yet, and introduced and birthed the church, uh, which became the Christian church in the book of Acts. So there's just the Jewish church, and Jesus is bringing forth this, uh, he's trying to bring his teachings to the Jews to let them know that I am the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. So Jesus is teaching in, 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 in the church, it says, now in verse number 20. Two, let's, let's go on. Uh, the people were amazed at his teaching. Hashtag authority, hashtag amazing, hashtag powerful. These guys were jazzed about what Jesus was teaching because this was beyond what any other preacher, any other teacher of the law has ever done. Jesus is bringing it, and it's amazing. They're loving what's going on. So it says, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. How'd you like to be a teacher of the law? Well, that sucks. You know, you just got done saying this. I, didn't, I guess I got no authority. No, you got no authority. You got no authority. You got no authority. Oh, this guy was a, I just need you to know, um, this guy that we're going to look at in verse number 23, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. Okay, I've had a lot of things happen in church before when I'm preaching. People get up and walk out. You're like, do they have a full bladder? Are they ticked off? What's going on? Did something happen? Uh, I have uh, I've, I had people stand up before and try to call me out in the middle of it and say things. I have to bring ushers and, um, you know, they thump them and take them outside and uh or what no no but i've had that happen before i've had people scream out and uh, things in, in a in a in like a uh, a disruptive way uh but they're necessarily trying to be disruptive they just were excited or whatever and it just that was a little much uh but i've never had somebody shriek and convulse with the demonic spirit in them before not really i mean 
we got this, but not really excited about that. You know what I mean? Um, and so let's go on. This is, uh, this is what's going on. This guy, it says, uh, by the way, uh, a man in their synagogue, their, everybody say their synagogue. Yeah, 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 you just said it. In, their, in other words, this wasn't a visitor. This was somebody who'd been coming to church for a while. This is somebody who'd sat at the tables with them at potlucks. This is somebody who had, who had done life with them. This is somebody who, you know, he brought the goat log and they would bring the, whatever it is, I don't know, to the, to the potluck. Uh, this is, this is that, and it said, so everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. It says an evil spirit. Uh, other translations say a devil screamed out. Another one says a demon screamed out. Another translation says an unclean spirit. It doesn't matter what you call it, it was dysfunctional. <laughs> would you agree with that statement, yes? It's dysfunctional when you stand up and <laughs> that's, that's dysfunctional, right? <laughs> so it's dysfunctional in church when something like that happens. Verse, <laughs> I think we should play the... I think we should play the first gathering on our video cast. <laughs> Instead of the second gathering, I didn't do that. It's the first, first gathering. It was more civilized. <laughs> verse, verse 24. Verse 24. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this devil, this demon, this dysfunction is speaking out of this guy. It's not this guy. It's what's in this guy. It's speaking out, speaking out at Jesus. And Jesus quickly says, be quiet. It says he said it sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek, the Bible says. See, the demons knew who Jesus was, and the demons began to tremble. Jesus said that they were to come out, and the demons obeyed immediately. Listen, listen, you need to pay attention to this. There was no seance that was necessary. There was no seven steps that were required. Just the virtue of the power of our savage Savior, and the demons have to come out. The power, the power of God, the power of his word drove the dysfunction right out of this guy. It had to leave. Come out of him. You unclean spirit. And it obeyed. The Bible says the man started shaking and convulsing, presumably down on the ground, because I don't know anybody shakes convulsively when they're standing. So it probably fell down, a little foam coming out of the mouth, lies going one way and this way. I don't know. It's just I've seen all these things happen in my mind. Probably very real. Probably a little disturbing to the rest of the church folks, right? Oh, that's interesting. Probably not, right? Leave your purse, honey. We're out of here. The power of God is not always pretty. What we want is we want a nice aisle with roses and chrysanthemums, and just as I am playing on the organ, as we approach the altar, where we can then, quietly and reverently, give our lives to Jesus Christ, and everything from that point on will be fine. But the truth is, some things in your life will not come out unless they are directly confronted. It has to be called out. Jesus will speak to it, and it must obey. The power of God needs to be made manifest in your life. And it, listen, that's why you're like, but I tried God, and it didn't work. But did you try addressing the dysfunction? Did you try addressing the root, the heart, and calling it out? That's my job. That's your brother's and sister's job. All of us have the same job description. 
Let's not, I think we need to speak to some things in the presence of God today, some things that have invaded the space in our spirits and in our minds and in our families and in our schools, and we need to say, it's enough. Be quiet. Come out. And the demons, the devils, the unclean spirits, the impure spirits, the dysfunction must obey because Jesus said, greater things would you do under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the blood of Jesus is flowing through your veins, you speak to the dysfunction and say, not in my house, not on my watch. What I struggle with with this story is how could this man was able to sit in church for all these weeks and months and be full of this, listen, the devil in him, the demon, the dysfunction in him was comfortable even in church. But when Jesus showed up, now I might be talking to two or three people here today, but, but when Jesus showed up, power shows up. When Jesus shows up, demons tremble. When Jesus shows up, dysfunction has nowhere to hide. It has to be seen. It has to, be, it has to come out. And so I am declaring today in the name of Jesus Christ to every evil spirit in our city and in this region that in the name of Jesus, you must come out. And no longer are we gonna tolerate and sit by in our dysfunction but we're gonna walk in victory. Now, some of you are freaked out, so here, let me unfreak you a little bit. Let's use some different terminology that's more acceptable in the modern day culture in which we live. And I've introduced you to this word, dysfunction. So rather than saying demon or devil, which is a little weird, you know, let's say dysfunction. See, back in the ancient world, everything was a demon. You got a runny nose, that's a demon, right? You got mental illness, that's a demon. And we know that's not true. Now, if you want to trace all sickness and everything negative back, eventually you'll get to, yes, it's the enemy, it's the devil, okay? But we know in our world um, that there's diagnoses, there's medical help. And so we don't call everything a demon. Are you following me? Do you all agree with that? Say yes. If you'd say no, if you'd no, no, then you'll be the weird one. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So not, not, every, not everything is a devil. Not everything is a demon. So we're going to use for now the word dysfunction because I think most Christians or most people that like, are seeking after maybe uh, being introduced to God are a little weirded out by saying you know, demons. Well, I don't have a devil in me. Are you saying it? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's probably some dysfunction in you. One time I asked a crowd that I was preaching to, I was talking about dysfunctional families. I'm like, raise your hand if you're in a dysfunctional family. And uh, I thought maybe you know, 10, 20% would raise, everybody raise their hand. We're not going to do that because I love my teenagers in the house and I don't want anybody being embarrassed on that awkward car ride home if you raise your hand. No, so, <laughs> so, so we're just going to be like, no hands raised up, right? Um, but every, we all understand what dysfunction is. I'm going to be honest with you. I, um, I like some of my dysfunctions. Maybe I'll rephrase. I like the way some of my dysfunctions make me feel. Oh, this is, this is going to be um, tough. If you want to feel good about yourself, one thing that I've found is, is and some of you are going to be like, well, he's a holy man of God. He's going to say, pray. Pray, and the Lord will bless you, and he'll bring about no if I want to feel good about myself instantly, as fast as I can snap my fingers, all I got to do is make fun of somebody, and I feel really good. I'll, you're like, I'm so ashamed of you, Troy. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not, because you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
All I got to do is, 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 uh, is, is, is put somebody else down. All, all I really have to do in my life is I have to uh, criticize somebody else. And if I criticize somebody else, I immediately uh, feel a little bit better about myself. See, here's what happened. It's amazing how quickly my dysfunction is swallowed up when I criticize somebody who has a different dysfunction than I, I don't happen to struggle with that dysfunction. And therefore, I don't have to confront my own dysfunction. So I stay focused on their dysfunction and I feel better about myself. You know what I'm talking about? So we do things like, it's fun to talk about other people and, and how they parent. Give me 10 minutes of that kid. I'm going to talk that way. It's fun to talk how other people should spend their money. Well, I have their money. I'll tell you what, I'm more generous than they are. Right? It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to talk about how the people should use their time. Well, they don't have any idea what it's like to work. I mean, I have all these kids and I have to do all these responsibilities. We do that. And we feel better about ourselves. And you chuckle and I chuckle, but we're confessing, aren't we? But the truth is, that dysfunction will keep you from your calling. And for many people, our dysfunction is centered on being comfortable. It really is. Comfort has its own function. I just stay with me now. I know some of y'all are like, like I am ADD, and you're like, oh, there's strings on the wall back there. So pay attention, pay attention for a few seconds. All right. Uh, comfort has its own. <laughs> comfort has its own function. Comfort has its own. We're comforted by the Holy Spirit, and the function for that is so that we can comfort other people. If you search the Bible for comfort, and I did. If you search the Bible, you're going to find many commands to comfort other people. That's, that's one of our roles as a Christ follower is to comfort other people. You're going to find many promises that God is going to comfort you. Hallelujah. Can someone say hallelujah, right? He's, he's, that's right. But you'll never read in the Bible, you'll never find that you have permission to comfort yourself. Not one time. You do not have permission from God to bring comfort to yourself. If I need comfort, then I go to the scriptures and I find that God will comfort me. If I need comfort, then I pray, and I find that God, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, will comfort me. If I need, if I need comfort, then I can talk to somebody else, and, and they'll bring comfort into my life. Or I have the power of discernment, and I'll notice, I'll pay attention to the little things, or the sweet, small voice of the Lord, the still, small voice of the Lord will speak to me, and somebody needs a phone call, or somebody needs a text, or somebody needs, listen, that's how we do. But it, you don't bring comfort to yourself, because when you start seeking comfort for yourself, you'll seek comfort from the wrong places, and that leads you down the path of sin, Prove it, Troy. Okay, glad you said so. Second Corinthians chapter one. Let's turn there very quickly. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse number three. It's going to be on the screen, but you might. It's, it's also on your notes. I would just be like, this is like this is worthy of underlining. Okay. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, beginning of verse number three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our in all our dysfunction. Wait. It doesn't say that. It says, who comforts us in all our troubles. You see, here's, here's the paradigm shift. Are you ready for this? God comforts us in all our troubles, and Satan comforts us, the devil comforts us in all our dysfunctions. Because if you're comforted in your dysfunction, you're likely going to stay that way. You're going to stay dysfunctional. That there is the devil in you. You following? But God doesn't comfort us in our dysfunction. What God does in our dysfunction is he, he confronts us. Sometimes y'all know that you need confronted, right? God comforts us in our troubles. That's what it's, let's go on, man, that is uh, trouble. So that we can comfort those, oh, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Ah, I see. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ flow in, over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. That's how come I can become a little more enduring as I get older and I've been through more. A little more patience is there. Oh, of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. See, the devil wants your dysfunction to become normal. Oh, it's just, just the way I am. That's just my, that's my personality. No, that's your dysfunction is what that is. That's why people can go to church with an evil spirit and not take any action. That's why people go to church and all their dysfunctions. Jesus came to confront your dysfunction and to deliver you from your dysfunction. He came to point it out. He came to deliver. What am I saying? And I wrote, I wrote a little note next to this. I was reviewing my notes last night, and I, um, I, I wrote this note. I said to myself, uh, I could write a book on that, that line alone, and, and here's the line, okay? Um, what the devil, this is what I'm saying. What the devil wants us to do is to run for comfort to places outside of our calling, Let it sink in. Why? So that he can keep us comfortable in our dysfunction. And when that happens, you'll never see your destiny come to pass. Ever. Never, ever will. I did a funeral once for a family in the church here. New, new life. But it was way back in the early, early days. And um, I was really sad because I barely knew this couple because we had just started the church. And I discovered that they had been Christians for decades. And uh, this senior saint passed away, and I'm glad they did the funeral, ministered to the family. And neighbors were there, next-door neighbors, next-door neighbors were there at the funeral. And I preached, and I told about how they're in heaven today, and, you know, praise the Lord. And it was true, true, and I meant every word of it. But the neighbors, the next-door neighbors, 31 years, next-door neighbors, came up to me and said, we had no idea that they were Christians. Maybe they were comfortable in their dysfunction. I don't know, but I just seems to me the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So I think we should not be ashamed that we're followers of Jesus, right? You don't have to be like a weird nut job, but you've you got to be proud that you know Jesus. Comfort can become dysfunctional when we get it from the wrong source. Let's talk about comfort food for a second. <laughs> like you've never eaten the whole bag of donuts before. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's skip that one. Let's go on. <laughs> Some of us have comfort friends. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh huh. People in your life that are good to you but not good for you. Those are called comfort friends. It's dysfunctional. We can easily sabotage the power of God in our life because we seek comfort from the wrong source. See, if... Some of you are so desperate to get out of your troubles, and maybe that's why you're here. You're so desperate to get out of your troubles that you might be missing, you might be missing the point of it all. And the point of it all could be this. Maybe trouble is your means by God to transformation. And that's not comfortable. And we don't like that at all. Oh, Troy, I thought you said, a breakthrough is coming, right? I thought that's what you said, right? <laughs> I need a drink is what I, I got. It's it, uh, this, yeah. It's what I said. It is a breakthrough. But you got to recognize the breakthrough. Um, somebody asked me once, 
and I know I got to rock, but uh, I got to get this thing going because we got a ball game to go to. But uh, um, somebody asked me, how do you know the will of God? Well, I know the will of God is every step I take because my God is not going to let me go off the path if I'm communing with him. So I don't have to uh, expect forks in the road everywhere I go. See, it's very possible that the will of God is, pick one, Troy. I'm with you. Are you with me? Yes? It's not comfortable sometimes. In Mark chapter 1, these guys were professional fishermen, and this guy that were called, and now they go into this church, and this dude is sitting there, and uh, an evil spirit begins to speak. He had been there day after day, week after week, month after month, and everybody knew him, until Jesus confronted this evil spirit. The church people had no idea what was going on. I mean, can you imagine being in that church? But the demons knew. See, while the church people were passing lifesavers, the demons were passing Prozac because they knew what was coming to them in just a couple seconds, right? They knew who was coming. That at that very name, every knee is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess. At that very name, darkness must flee. At that very name, depression must go. At that very name, anxiety must cease. At that very name, sickness must come on. At that very name, pain has to end. It's at that name, the name that is above every other name. Proof of the presence of God. Proof of the presence of God isn't comfortable feelings. It's not. It's nice to have those every now and then, right? We enjoy that. But that's not proof of the, oh, I must be so blessed because I feel so good. Maybe that's the devil. Maybe. Sometimes proof of the presence of God is disruption in your life. Sometimes proof of the presence of God is confrontation in your life. That's what happened to this guy. (laughs) This was the very first miracle that took place in the book of Mark. I mean, up to this point, Jesus got baptized. Wonderful, glorious. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, I'm very proud of him. I love him very much. And the dove, right? And, and it's a great time. And then he goes out in the desert, and then he experiences the devil for 40 days and the temptation. Oh, Jesus, I'm so glad you did that, and we don't have to. He didn't say that. And, and, then, and then Jesus calls. He's like, I'm going to need some. I'm going to need myself a posse so that we can, we can, we can take this uh, world and we can confront the evil one. And, and so he gets a posse together, right? And now we, he goes to church. That's a logical thing to do. He does some teaching. And you think Jesus was surprised by this? No, this is why Jesus went to church. Because he knew that in the church were devils. And he confronted the devil is what he did. He confronted the enemy. This first miracle, this inaugural record of the first miracle in the book of Mark is there for a reason. It points to this, and this is it. Are you ready? The devil doesn't want us to get too uncomfortable. We're not going to change then. But Jesus came to confront our dysfunction, to make us uncomfortable so that we will change. That's what's savage about our Savior. I love it. By the way, uh, let me tell you about Kefir Nahum, village of the comfort. In Matthew chapter 11, um, Jesus addresses the, the three cities that he did most all of his miracles in when he walked on earth, okay? And, and these three cities, the, the, the city that he did more miracles than anywhere else was Kephar Nahum, was Capernaum, which is the city we're talking about. So this is just the first of many miracles that Jesus does there. And you would have thought these people go, oh, I'm a part of this. This is my town. I I got to see, I got to witness the presence of God, the power of God. Awesome. I mean, all these miracles Jesus did, and I was there, front row seat, box seats. It wasn't pay-per-view. I mean, he was there. And 
I think Jesus would be proud of this city. Let's take a look at what he says in Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse number uh, 23. Let me turn there in my Bible because I like to read it out of my Bible. And you, Kephar Nahum, will you be lifted up to the skies? I think we probably will because Jesus walked here and all these miracles he did, it was quite amazing. We were rather impressed. It was fun to be in his presence. It was kind of nifty to see all the things that he did with his power and from God. And Jesus goes on to say, no. Then he explains it. Okay, this is serious. You will go down to the depths. Depths means Hades. Hell. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. Now, some of you, Bible history, we need to remember, Sodom was the place, that's where we get the term Sodomites. Sodomy. That's what was going on in that city. It was perverted, it was disgusting, it was evil, it was happening, and God literally destroyed that city by fire. Boom, it was gone. That much anger and fury from our God because of the sin, the depravity that was taking place in that city. And now, God, Jesus is speaking. God is speaking to Kephar, village of Nahum Comfort, and saying, if, if, what, listen, if what I did in your city would have happened in Sodom, they would have been spared. But but he goes on to say, but I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Why? You see, we are so happy that we live in the New Testament time, aren't we? The New Testament time means we live under grace. We don't live under the letter of the law. And we talk about how we need not make sacrifices for all of our sins. We need not walk around with guilt and darkness and bondage and legalism anymore. And for that, I say hallelujah. But to whom much is given, much is required. And the responsibility for New Testament Christ followers like us, us, is that we cannot walk in the presence of God and not give glory to God and not change the way we think and continue to live in our dysfunction because if we do that, it would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than it would be for us. 22 miracles performed there. They saw it, they witnessed it. The name of the city, Kephar, village, Nahum, of comfort. That was a promise. It was a prophetic promise over the city. It became their undoing. Why? Because they became too comfortable. Some people said, Troy, why are you pushing us? Why are we starting so many churches? Relax. Enjoy life a little bit. Because we're not going to get too comfortable. Because we can't get too comfortable. Because there are people that need to hear the good news. Because there are people that need to know that we care. There are people that need to know that Jesus loves them. Kephar Nahum became their undoing. Why? Because they ran for comfort more than they ran for Christ. May that never be said of New Life Church that we ran for comfort more than running for Christ because then we will miss our calling and we will be rendered ineffective and the devil will let us stay in our spirit of comfort as long as we're willing to stay in that dysfunction. Man, I don't know if I can preach anymore. I don't know if I can give you anymore. But, but we're learning about our savage Savior who came to confront us. I know you have stuff. I know you do. God is not going to give you, and it's not a pat answer. God is not going to give you more than you can handle, but he will always give you a way of escape. 
God promises that you right now have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The role, the function of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's role, function. A major part of that is to bring you comfort. But still, a major part of the role of Jesus is to confront you and call you out. You can't have one without the other. And so I want to pray for you today. So would you bow your hearts and bow your heads and let me pray for you. God, I recognize that there's a lot of people here and there's a lot of stuff represented here. And there's some people that are just uh, stuck. Uh, some people have zoned out already. Some people just don't really think they care right now. But there's other people that are uh, really leaning into this. And So, Lord, my prayer isn't just for the leaners. My prayer is for the, for the loners. My prayer is for the ones that just kind of feel apathetic right now because I think that is, I think that is dysfunction. And so I call that devil out in the name of Jesus. In fact, I'm going to call out several right now. I speak to every insecurity. I speak to every fear. I speak to every doubt. I speak to every regret in this room. I speak to every aspect of bondage. I speak to every aspect of frustration and depression and discouragement and dismay. I speak to all of it, God. And I say in the name of Jesus, come out in the name of Jesus. I declare that we will no longer be comfortable in the darkness when God has called us into his marvelous light. And so we recognize that Satan is trying to keep us comfortable in our dysfunctions. And so today we renounce every evil ploy and act actively pursue the calling that God has for us. God, we don't want to stay stuck. Not another day, not another moment, not another second. And so I declare freedom in the name of Jesus Christ over this church, this family, and the folks that are watching and listening by the way of the, by the, way of the internet. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Now keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a second. I know it's a, we got a lot of festivities today and fun, and I want you to enjoy that and have a great time with your friends and family, but we would be remiss if we didn't give you an opportunity to actually respond to this message. God is calling you to something. He is, in, he is drawing you, and you're like, why am I so stuck in this dysfunction? Why am I struggling with all of these troubles? Why do I keep doing the same stupid things over and over again? Why am I so, why am I so disappointed? It's bringing about depression. Why, am I so, why do I feel like a failure? Listen, God didn't call you that. God never did. He changed your name. And you got to know that he changed your name. And he is looking at you eyeball to eyeball and saying, son. He's looking at you eyeball to eyeball and saying, daughter, I love you. I am proud of you, but I love you too much to let you stay the same way you are. And your job is to listen to that voice and say, oh my God, I let myself right now become vulnerable, true and real to you. And I right now release all of this stuff that is holding me back. And God, today, I confess it all to you. I no longer want to be stuck. I don't want to be the same person. You called me out of the junk into something glorious. And if that's you, if that's you, and you're ready to say to the Lord, God, I know I failed, but I know you, you tell me I'm not a failure. I know, that I've, I've, I know that I've sinned, but you're not calling me a sinner anymore. And you wanna be a part of that crew? You wanna be a part of that family that says God is for you and he is not against you? That God is, he might, just like any good parent, he's gonna call you out and let you know, hey, you're going down the wrong path, you're doing the wrong things, you're saying that you're thinking the wrong thoughts. And calling you out of that is gonna bring you out of your dysfunction and it's gonna take you straight into your calling and it's gonna be a beautiful thing. And if you're 
ready for that relationship with Almighty God. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, not gonna embarrass you. I just want you on the count of three to raise your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. Lift that hand up. Say, God, that is me. Come on now, hands all over the place. God, that is me. God, that is me. I am leaving the place of comfort. I'm forsaking my comfort zone and I am moving out into my calling. Hallelujah. God, in the name of Jesus, I just bless every hand and every human that is represented by that hand and I ask God that you would move mountains. I pull down strongholds and we ask God that the devil would come out, the dysfunction would come out and that peace would be rule and reign and that God, this would become a contagious follower of Jesus Christ that would yield a great harvest for your kingdom. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Now, if you agree, say amen and give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Come on now. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Come on. Amen. 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 And amen. Man, how exciting. Next week, we're going to continue. So if you want to Know where we're going? Well, read the next few verses and you'll know exactly where we're going. Study up on it if you want to. I'd, I'd love for you to do that. Now, if you're, if you're a guest with us, I'm glad you're here. You're only a guest one time uh, and, uh, and after that, your family. So we would like to get some information. So back at the Connect Corner, which is not in the corner, um, we would like for you to stop back there and pick up a free gift we have for you. It's, I think it's a $1,000 gift certificate to wherever you want to go. That's not true. So, uh, um, but anyway, we'd love for you to pick up a free gift back there and just let you know we really do care that you're here. Or if it's your first time in a long time and you'd like to find out what's going on, there's all kinds of information that's back there about ministries and so forth for your family. And there'll be more in the few weeks, uh, the weeks coming up. Um, that's, uh, I want to give a big shout out to, there's a lot of team members that made this happen. Tasha is back there and, and she did all the setup and all the decorations and all this stuff. We had a, a team last night that came and cleaned the warehouse and organized. That is like a, the worst job in the whole church is clean, cleaning the chuck room, right? The warehouse. You all have a chuck room at your house, right? Somewhere, chuck everything. Um, and that's what that room has become. And I about decapitated myself this week. So I appreciate some people coming, just walking back there. So um, they cleaned that up last night and rain and just everything. I appreciate it. And people setting up and all this. And we had a setup team and we had a cook team and and so Don and her team and all the others that worked and, uh, and all the barbecue team the Poland family just rocked that out and put that thing together and in the rain I know it's just amazing and so uh, we've got about 4,000 hot dogs left over there if you want to take some home for your Super Bowl party you're welcome to do that or uh, if you if you know a place that there's a uh, if anybody live, knows of a uh, if you like to give food to the homeless or shelters or anything around, take it, take it. We just, if we trust you, take it. If you can put, or if you want to take it for your family, take it for your family. We just don't want any food left here. Uh, we appreciate that very much. And then I, I, uh, I just uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate our staff has been covering the last three weeks as I've been out of the office. And I'm so proud of the staff and the interns and the board and everything that they've been doing. So thank you very much. And it's really good to be back with you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest and may he give you peace. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday, right? Amen, amen, amen. <laughs>